In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favour with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Great, thank you, Colin. We'll do keep that uh, bit of the Bible open. Um, we're going to have uh, two talks this morning, but I think I should say that the first talk is about 95% of what I'm going to say. So just at the end of this, if towards the end of this first talk you're thinking, what, another one of those? Um, it's the majority um, of what we're going to be considering this morning. But let's just pray, shall we, uh, before we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you so much that you sent your son into the world to save sinners like us. Lord Jesus, we praise you that your very name means Yahweh saves. God saves. How much we delight in you because of your rescue of us. And we pray, Lord, that you would thrill our hearts afresh by the power of your spirit. Please help me as I speak in sinful and weak ways. Please help us all as we listen in sinful and weak ways to see the Lord Jesus and adore him. Amen. Well, I don't know if you're aware of the, the recent census figures that have just come out. Uh, Christianity continues to decline in our nation. Uh, you may be aware that the the figures are such that only 46% of people identify as Christians in the UK now. But we all know that that's a vast overestimate, don't we? The situation is far, far worse than that. If 46% of people attended church in Colchester, how many churches would there be rather than the 20 or so? Between four and 500. We know that that's not the case. So things are far, far worse, but should we feel down about that? I mean, for most of us, that's not news, is it? Why is the church in decline? 
It's fairly clear that this decline is because the church no longer believes the Bible, as we can see in all the mainline denominations. But I think there's also a danger that the church has embraced of withdrawing from the intellectual challenges that face her. So it's vital that we continue to believe the ancient truths that increasingly are being questioned, but also that we see new and fresh insights from the Bible that can address the questions that we all face, which dent our confidence, which dent many people's confidence in the Christian faith. It's the principle semper reformanda. What does that mean? Oh, it's just fancy Latin for always being reformed, always coming to the Bible to see what the Bible has to say for us in our day to answer the challenges we face. And I think that one of the challenges we face as we come to this part of Luke's Gospel is partly is so familiar, isn't it? We've had it read every Christmas since we were knee-high to a grasshopper, so it's familiar, and yet we can miss stuff. We need to see the tried and trusted truths of the Christian faith, and we need to see how they apply in a contemporary world so that we have confidence. Uh, the danger is that we come to Christmas and we, we try and rejoice in the Christian truths on the basis of attending our primary school nativities. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm sure they're great, but they might just be a little bit on the sentimental side or, or slightly off the truth when aliens and supermen and various other characters join the, the nativity. That's what happens, isn't it? You know, it, just everything joins the nativity. We can be duped as adults into thinking, this isn't real. Now, two challenges that we face as we enter Christmas as one or two percent of the population. We, we need to grapple with atheistic feminism. <clears throat> what, what's that? Well, it's a right desire to respond to the violence and oppression of women, but the way that it does so is to deny biological reality. As Christians, we can't be mute with the recent events, which Sarah Everard has become a bit of a an icon of, and subsequent murders. We, we can't just ignore that, can we? Going on in our culture, or the Me Too movement, or more recently and very close to home, the Everyone's Invited movement. Now, I confess that I wouldn't really know about these things without my daughters, but we need to be aware of these things if we're to respond to the decline in Christian faith. Yes, respond faith, uh, sensitively and biblically and boldly, but in our generation. The other challenge I think we face is the atheistic caricature of God. The idea that God is somehow a tyrant. That Christianity, or rather the God of the Bible, is caricatured as one who brings oppression. So Christianity is not just an old-fashioned crutch. It is toxic to be jettisoned from public discourse. That is the view of our culture. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to go into great detail, but I just wanted to mention those two things, those objections that I will be applying this passage to as we go. My hope and prayer is that it will help us be more confident to really rejoice 
in the truths of Christmas in a genuinely grown-up way, fed by the scriptures with confidence against the criticisms we have from our culture. Uh, two points. This is the first point for the first talk. Believe your Lord, like Mary, for the Holy Spirit. Believe your Lord, like Mary, for the Holy Spirit. And if, if the Lord Jesus is not your Lord yet, then do just look in and, and, and see the wonder of what happened at Christmas. You see, we see in Mary an example of Christian faith. Faith in her Lord, the creator and redeemer, Yahweh. We know the story. Mary was a virgin betrothed to Joseph. This was a legally binding betrothal or engagement from which you needed to get a legal divorce to end. And this was no patriarchal oppression. No, this was to protect women, especially in days when sex meant children. The man was to demonstrate his legal commitment to his bride by becoming betrothed by demonstrating that he had the means by which children were to be nurtured in a home. And so the marriage in those days took place both at the synagogue and at the home. And an angel comes to the teenager Mary. We pick it up in verse 28, so do have a look with me. Greetings, O favoured one. The Lord is with you. God's grace and presence were especially towards Mary, this insignificant teenage girl. But obviously she's troubled, as everybody is when an angel appears to them. They're such awesome beings. People still have encounters today. I can tell you about some of those later if you want. But she is fearful. And so the angel says... Verse 30, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God is graciously disposed towards you, Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom, there will be no end. The promises that were made a thousand years before to King David that we looked at last Sunday. This is stunning, is it not? Mary, this teenage girl, is particularly, particularly favoured by God. His grace is especially towards her. How? Why? Well, she will have a baby. That's not what it says, is it? you will conceive in your womb. Same language in Matthew's Gospel. You will conceive. The baby will be conceived in her womb. Now, this is unutterably revolutionary for women of the days, in the days of the original readers. For over a thousand years, through the worship of the temple, a flow of blood made women unclean. But now, the Son of the Most High will dwell in Mary's womb. What dignity is given to women? That God dwells there. This transforms the view of the body. 
what dignity is given. The, the one called Jesus, God saves, will dwell in Mary's womb. And Mary will name him. Yes, Joseph will name him, but this is no patriarchy without kindness and generosity and grace. No, Mary also will name Jesus. See, all the promises of God are being focused down into one conception. That changes an awful lot of things I don't have time to go into. How will Mary respond? How will this be since I'm a virgin? Mary knew her birds and bees, you know, passed on from mother to daughter. She's trying to work out, well, how is this going to happen? Without a man being involved, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now, it's very clear, it's very, very important we get this clear in our day. This is not God sleeping with Mary, which is blasphemous and rightly rejected by Islam because Islam got its understanding of the virgin birth from paganism, not from Christianity. And it's not impersonal, not like those of you who are into Star Wars will know what I'm talking about, the virgin birth of Star Wars. I think it's episode, is it episode two? I'm looking around. Anyway, you know, you know the one I'm talking about. You know, she just wakes up and, oh, I don't know how that happened. There wasn't a man involved, but here it is, I'm pregnant. It's not like that. So it's not pagan, and it's not impersonal. This is a personal, relational conception by God the Holy Spirit in the womb of Mary. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. Now that is language which is repeated in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is empowering language. There's no sexual connotation. No, this is God's empowering of Mary to give birth, to conceive and to give birth Jesus, to, to, to Jesus. It's a miracle, of course, but there's more going on here in terms of the meaning. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Now, what does that mean? Well, this very word is used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament when Moses finishes the tabernacle and the cloud of God's holy presence overshadows it. And the glory of God dwells in it so that Moses can't go into the tabernacle. It's the same word. It's not that common a word. Luke chose it for a purpose. God's glory is now dwelling in the womb of Mary. It will take time for that glory to be witnessed, as the Apostle John will say at the beginning of his gospel. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. Now, there's some amazing implications to this, but as I hope God the Holy Spirit is revealing to us new and fresh understanding of what was going on. We've got to be clear about this. This wasn't the pagan way. It's that pagan way that informs Islam, and to a certain extent, angry atheism. It's not the impersonal way of Buddhism. 
in which God is not relational and God is a tyrant in some shape or form. No, this is personal. God explains to Mary. There is a conversation. He's no toxic male. Mary, as we will see, understands the honor she is given, the blessing that she is offered. And so how does she react? Verse 38, over the page. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She believes what God says to her. She trusts in the Lord. And so God the Son is conceived as Jesus, the man, in Mary's womb. Now, now Mary's reaction is a very different reaction to Zachariah's reaction. And this is part of the way in which Luke writes, isn't it? He's trying to show that those who are rich in faith are not necessarily those we would expect. I mean, who would you expect to be rich in faith? Zachariah, standing before the, 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 the visible presence of God in the temple, offering sacrifices, theologically educated, right in the heart of Jerusalem, or little old teenager Mary, up in the north. Well, you know, they're just not very theologically sound up there. Who would you expect to believe as an example? Well, it's not Zachariah, is it? He's struck dumb because he doesn't believe. And here is Mary, an example of Christian faith. Let it be to me according to your word. We've just been seeing that, haven't we, in Romans? It's not that God is dependent on the faith of Mary because it is by the grace of God that Mary believes. Yet, this is what Luke records Elizabeth saying in a few verses' time. Verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is Christian faith, trusting what God says. So believe your Lord like Mary, for the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who then, according to Mary's faith, brings the conception in her womb. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And God promises each of us here this morning that if we trust in Jesus Christ, the child that Mary bore, we will be forgiven, we will be given a new life, we will become children of God, we will receive the Holy Spirit. We will be born from above. Of course, it's a different kind of birth to the one that Mary embraced. But if we trust in Jesus Christ, we have been born again. We have been born from above. Have you done that? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Are you born again? Has God begun his life in you by the power of the Holy Spirit? And if we can say, well, yes, then we have followed Mary's example. And if we oh, I'm not sure, I, I don't know, I don't think so. Well, then follow Mary's example. Say to the Lord, may it be to me according to your word. I'm your servant. I'm the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. Mary is an example of faith. But we mustn't overreact to some teaching that's out there which exaggerates her role. She was not sinless, as some in the wider church teach, because she recognized 
her need for a saviour. In verse 47, we're going to come on to that. She was not a perpetual virgin because she had biological children with Joseph, as all the Gospels record. She was not assumed to heavenly glory to be a mediator. That is nowhere taught in the Bible. But in reacting against those things, let's, let's not overreact. It was her human nature that the Son of God assumed. The pre-existent Son of God took into himself to become man. Now you think, okay, you're starting to get a bit technical and complex, John. Okay, why, why am I going into this? Because if we're going to respond to the challenges that the church faces, we need to become articulate in those fine distinctions in terms of Christian teaching so that we can answer atheistic feminism, so that we can answer atheism. You see, I'll just, we're going to go and say a creed in a minute, um, but I just want you to listen to the Athanasian Creed, which declares that Jesus is God from the essence of the Father. In other words, he's got the same godness as God the Father, begotten before time, and he is human from the essence of his mother, born in time, completely God, completely human. In other words, the human nature of Jesus was not something that just floated around in the ether. It came from Mary. He was a descendant of David. That matters. To be fully human, you have to have descendants, don't you? You can't just be a sort of floating human with no descendants. And so Jesus' humanity, his human essence, his human substance was brought from Mary and conceived in her womb. And so as the Chalcedonian Creed puts it, Mary was the mother of God, by which they meant God the Son was born as the person, Jesus Christ, of Mary. It was her humanity that God assumed into the Son. Now, why does that, why does that matter? Well, it means that atheistic feminism is wrong and divisive because our humanity, our human nature, is more important to us than our gender. It's not that... I'm sure you, you know that I'm not saying that gender is uh, interchangeable. You know that I don't believe that. But there's something deeper and more fundamental than our gender. That's our humanity. Now, I know this may be news for some, that men are actually human. Um, but actually, we, men and women, we, we share humanity. You might, uh, we just need a bit of light relief now, so I've, I've got some man jokes. Okay, <laughs> got some man jokes. These are not written by me, but I just thought, you know, a little bit of light relief before we keep going with the deep theology. Why don't men show their true feelings? Because they don't have any. Why are dumb, blonde jokes one-liners? so men can remember them. What's the difference between government bonds and men? Bonds mature. I could go on, I could go on. But that's the, that's what we're, that, that, that's the sort of atmosphere we are living in, isn't it? Toxic masculinity. How, as Christian men, we need to be you know, living out a wholesome alternative. And part of that is responding to atheistic feminism's exaggeration of social definitions of gender, and so obscuring the biological differences between men and women. But in responding to that, we need to be careful. We don't deny our common humanity. Men and women are both human beings. You say, well, that's obvious. It's not obvious. 
See, Mary is an example of faith to men and women because of her humanity. We don't just say, oh, Mary's a woman, and therefore example of faith is just for women. No. Mary is an example of faith to us as men, as much as to women. And thus, those male examples of faith in the Bible are as much examples of faith to women as to men because of common humanity. We're made in God's image. We are justified by faith alone, and therefore there is no male or female when it comes to justification by faith. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, much more could be said. I'm just flagging up the ways in which we need to be applying the truths of Christmas to our contemporary world. I've almost finished the, the first talk, but I wanted to look at just one final thing. You see, in God becoming human, in the person of his son Jesus Christ, fully God and fully human, 100% God, 100% human, that is a vital truth to believe. It's not sort of secondary. The virgin birth is not some sort of secondary truth to believe in, as uh, seems to be the case with many clergy in the Church of England. But we need to go further than that. We don't stop there. Now, an illustration that I found helpful, which tries to do a lot of theological explanation in a very, very short period of time, danger being it doesn't quite work, but imagine you've got a house, one house with two rooms. Yeah? Picture in your mind. Jesus is one person. He's fully God and fully man. He's not 99% God and 99% human. He's fully God and fully man, fully human. The human nature came from Mary. The divine nature came from God, obviously. And there's communication between those two rooms. So the Bible can use language of one for the other and vice versa. So we have one example in a little later on. Mary was the mother of God. Mother is for human beings. It doesn't mean she gave birth to God. It means that as she gave birth, she was giving birth to the person who is Jesus Christ, one house with two natures, divine and human. Paul speaks in Acts of God purchasing the church by his blood. God can't bleed. God doesn't have a body. Can you see how one is, there's communication between the rooms in the way that language works. Now, why am I going into all this detail? Well, for a true and deep celebration of the truths of Christmas as adults, we need a joy and delight in what God has clearly revealed to us. We need a feast like Christmas Day, not just the crisps of nativity plays. You know, you're going to get bored with crisps. If crisps is all you eat this Christmas, you'll feel you're missing out. You need more than just going to nativity plays. Lovely as they are, I'm not knocking them. I've been to far too many. Anyway, <laughs> but perhaps I am. And also, if we're going to ride the challenges of atheistic feminism and the caricature of God in atheism, the incarnation reveals the commitment of God to rescue people like you and me. To use an engineering analogy, if you're building a bridge, it doesn't matter if it's 50% short or 99.9999% short, it doesn't bridge the gap. It's got to be 100%. For God to reveal to us what he's fully like in his, his character, he needs to be 
100% united with the human nature of Jesus so that human language can communicate 100% what we need to understand about God. If we're going to have a relationship with God, he needs to come to us in a human being, the person of his son, not just for a while, but for eternity. And if God is going to take the punishment for our sins on the cross, which wonderfully he has in the person of his son, Jesus, he had to be conceived. He had to become one cell, truly human, and at the same time be upholding the universe. Now, if that doesn't blow your mind, I don't know what will. And he's given us the privilege of calling him Jesus. We know God through Jesus. We're in a relationship with God through Jesus. We are redeemed by trusting in Jesus. We can be confident that God saves us from sin because of the incarnation, the conception of Jesus. He is Yahweh, yeah, saves, sus, Jesus, God, the self-existent one. The I am that I am saves. We're now going to listen to a song which I think helps apply these truths in ways that are emotional that I haven't uh, been able uh, really to flesh out. But just a time of quiet and then either just listen to this song or join in. We're just going to remain seated. I thought we'd do things a little differently just to try and cut through that Christmas sentimentality and feed on who Jesus is for us if we've trusted in him. So just a moment of quiet and then we'll listen or just join in quietly with O Come All You Unfaithful. Okay, we're going to have our second reading now. So Colin, if you'd like to bring us that second reading. Our second reading today is again from Luke chapter 1 verses 39 to 45, and it's page 856 in your Bibles. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfilment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Thank you, Colin. Uh, and as I said, this is about 5% of the total, so don't worry. And a very, very simple point, really, for this, this second section. Speak of your Lord like Elizabeth and Mary by the Holy Spirit. Now, Luke is keen to show both in his Gospel and in the book of Acts that the significant 
mover and power in people speaking about Jesus is the Holy Spirit. So, verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And what, so what happens when Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, verse 42 is what happens. She exclaimed with a loud cry. Remember, this is in the house, in the home. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Here is an expression of the deepest theological understanding in a few words which theologians poured over for centuries that Elizabeth utters when she is filled with the Holy Spirit. She cannot be referring to a human Lord because the Lord is a baby and it's Mary's firstborn. She's referring to her Lord, the Lord Yahweh, the Lord, the covenant Lord of Israel, and Elizabeth and Mary become the first examples in Luke's gospel of speaking by the power of the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit in order to speak. It's what happens in Luke's second book, Acts. And this is the gospel of Paul, the Apostle Paul. Luke was a traveling companion, the Apostle Paul. He, he was then one who carefully investigated all these things. But the gospel he preaches, the gospel he presents, is deeply influenced by the fact that he listened to Paul. And so as I close, the, the Bible is clear that what is most important if we are to speak to others of th these amazing truths, and we know we need to, don't we? We know the context we're in, we're in that many people haven't heard and need to hear. But the key issue is the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what made the difference on the day of Pentecost. It's what made the difference all the way through the book of Acts. It's what was making the difference here in the lives of Elizabeth and Mary in the home. It's interesting, isn't it? This happened in the home. The day of Pentecost happened in the home. This is for the whole of life, not just when we are you know, speaking in a church gathering. So, as we consider how to speak to others, uh, it's great to have publicity, and we've been working hard at getting our publicity. You'll see that it's on the tables. It, it's great to organize, to have events, but let's not, let's not forget what power we really need. We need to come before God and ask for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, men and women, to be filled day by day, not to grieve him, but individually and together, to be filled by the Spirit so we might speak of our Lord like Elizabeth and Mary did. Let's just pray as we close. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the wonder of the mystery of the Son of God becoming a conception, a human being, growing, going to the cross. Lord Jesus, we praise you for your commitment to save us as Lord and God. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, like Elizabeth and Mary, to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Please fill us afresh by your Spirit even today.
that we might speak by that same power so that others would hear and adore Jesus. Amen. We're now going to declare our faith together in the words of the Chalcedonian Creed. You will see why it's not... uh, We we don't join together uh, that often in uh, declaring our faith in in these terms. But it is an important, it's one of the ecumenical creeds that unite Christians, East and West. And uh, just a little bit of explanation before we say it together. Consubstantial just means of the same nature as concurring, being at the same time or agreeing. So I think they made it a bit more complicated than they needed to. Uh, But if you don't believe this... Uh, and you may still have questions after my sermon, thinking, oh, I'm not sure about this, John. Um, do come and ask me afterwards. Um, but if you do believe what we've just been considering, then let's say these words together. We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us without sin, begotten before all ages of the Father according to the Godhead, and in these latter days, for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, according to the manhood, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten to be acknowledged in two natures, unconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of the natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the same Son, and only begotten God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. Amen. Do grab me afterwards. Uh, I hope that there might be some some questions after considering these matters, but we're now going to stand and read the final um, bit of the Bible reading together, because as Mary is an example of faith, which the church has always acknowledged, uh, we can pray her song of the Magnificat, her song of praise uh, together. So let's stand, and then either from the Bible uh, or, or from our service sheet, we're going to say Magnificat together. And it's a, it's, a, it's a song of praise for what God did for Mary and has done for us. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their inmost hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham 
and his offspring forever. Thanks be to God for his word. Amen. We'll do take a seat. We're now going to consider um, anything that the Lord has laid on our hearts, anything he's convicting us of by his Holy Spirit that we need to confess to him. Maybe it's unbelief in certain areas. Maybe it's particular sins of the last week. A moment of quiet as we then confess our sins to God. So together, most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Amen. <clears throat> 